0: Welcome to Broadcast Interrupted. I'm Chirag. And I'm Andy. Who did we interrupt on this week's episode, Andy?
1: On this week's episode, we interrupted Avijit Mukul Kishore. Mukul is a filmmaker and a cinematographer based in Mumbai. He works mostly uh, with documentary within the documentary genre. Um, but something very particular about his uh, work is that he works across he works with people from various different walks of life, uh, and they're an integral part of how he conceptualizes his film projects. Um, some of his films are Nostalgia for the Future, Electric Shadows, Squeeze Lime in Your Eye, Lovely Villa, and uh, as a cinematographer, I think uh, Kali Salvar, and Old Dog's Diary. Yeah. And, and quite a few others the list is quite quite exhaustive
0: yeah for us uh, to have him on the podcast uh, was basically to inquire this uh, the nature of this line of inquiry in into interdisciplinary film practices uh, for example uh, he discusses with us on the podcast uh, electric shadows this film that he made uh, for uh, a film festival in China where Indian films were screened. And uh, this, he discussed, uh, and we were able to kind of unpack what is the impact of film on both these cultures? uh, What role does film play when it comes to the politics of history and memory? Yeah. And also... Just the act of documentary filmmaking, really. And I think that was really interesting. And for uh, people who are fans of both architecture and films, I think Nostalgia for the Future is a must-watch. Uh, and because in this film, you can see his critique on Indian modernism and on just narratives of nation-building that were constructed post-independence in India. I think one of your concerns was also the way he represents reality or he talks about the re- representation of reality.
1: Yeah, and it it, cre- it came out really well during the course of our conversation on the podcast. Um, what I mean by that is probably um, Mukul seems extremely concerned with how uh, reality can be understood and perceived. Not just by the masses, um, as an as a film educator himself, um, he is extremely concerned with how cinema, whether feature or documentary, across genres, attempts to reproduce or or represent reality, whether it be of the present times or um, across uh, film archives. Yeah. This episode will be released in two parts,
0: just like all our other episodes. Uh, Relevant links to Mukul's work uh, will be found in the description box below. Uh, Make sure to check out uh, all the films that he has made as well. Uh, Apart from that, we would just like to request you to like, share, subscribe, and most importantly, below the description box, In that small comments box below, let us know what you
1: think. Thanks. See you on the other side. Ciao. Thank you for joining us on broadcast Interrupted Mukul. Uh, We're really, really happy to have you. Um, Chirag and I have been uh, discussing your films and your work. And uh, of course, also anecdotally, because Chirag happens to know you uh, from his time at uh, Kamala Rahija Architecture School. And um, we were thinking uh, this would be a great way to get to know you a little bit better and share. uh, And when you share with us what you think, Um, thank you for having me
2: over, guys. And uh, yes, I remember those days of teaching at Kamla Reja very clearly. I also remember that Chirag was very keen on being an actor so it was fun it was great fun you know so yeah uh, this podcast
0: is. is yeah <laughs> this yeah. podcast is I'm opening sure. up a uh, pandora's box uh that i don't really wish to be <laughs> uh, wish to have opened but uh let's go ahead
1: okay
2: <laughs> there we go
1: <laughs> okay um yeah first first things first uh what are you currently working on and, and as a filmmaker what what does a when you're in the middle of a project, what does a typical day look like for you?
2: Uh, okay. What I'm currently working on is I'm trying desperately to restart projects that were held up because of COVID. And, uh, yeah, there have been false starts. There have been, you know, things getting stuck, as you know, in our lives in the last one year or so. Um but you spoke to Rohan sometime back, Rohan Shiv Kumar, right? Yeah. And um, I must say that the last five years have been quite productive for me as a filmmaker and for the two of us as collaborators, where uh, there have been a lot of films that have been coming out one after the other, you know. And uh, much of these reflect our own on on our uh, respective practices. Me as a Filmmaker, one who likes to dabble in uh, teaching. Rohan is an academic and architect, and you know, film writer, co-director, and so on. And uh, it's been very invigorating. It's been very nice. Um, And a film that we made together, Nostalgia for the Future, which got completed in 2017. We like to call it our uh, mid-career anxiety, (laughs) not a midlife crisis, but a mid-career anxiety because we're both (laughs) reflecting on. our respective work as to what do I do as a documentary filmmaker? What is the place of my work? Does it ever achieve anything? What are we doing? What is our gaze? We give ourselves a lot of power while speaking on behalf of other people as documentary filmmakers have done, you know, Mm -hmm. as filmmakers do. You speak on behalf of other people. And um, so the film is a reflection on many of those things. I mean, me as a filmmaker, Rohan as an architect, And somebody that provides housing and builds cities for people to live in Mm -hmm. and creating histories in the process and so on. So a lot of reflection has been happening, you know, through films and uh, even other ways. And uh, currently, we are trying to restart a project like which I mentioned has been stuck on festivals and celebrations all across the country that are either dying out or transforming very rapidly. So it's a research and documentation project, which uh, is a little open-ended at present. And uh, we're hoping to look for patterns. We're hoping to look for, you know, agents of those change and what exactly is driving, you know, these very popular mass events and uh, how they've been changing over time. So, so there are a few thoughts, a few threads that we are working on at present. And as soon as we're able to travel, because, you know, we're looking at events and festivals across geographies, across faith, you know, across languages and mm-hmm. cultures. So it involves a lot of travel. So we just have to figure out when it's safe to do it again. And right. festivals by definition mean crowds. <laughs> so, you know, we have to take all that into account. And uh, yeah, that's what we're working on. So, and as you know, the day a day in the life of a filmmaker for the last one year has been pretty much like this, sitting in front of a computer. Uh, But otherwise uh, it's a bunch of things. I mean, you know, it's um, a lot of pre-production when you're working on something, a lot of research, you might be doing it on your own. You might have a team and uh, yeah, when you're on a shoot, it's a different story altogether. But otherwise it's, I guess we live our lives pretty much in front of, screens of different kinds you know mm. you're either watching things or you are interacting like this you're teaching or you're editing and then you're sitting in front of a screen again
1: again
2: so that yeah. has become our life uh yeah so you just change places you change computers you could be watching things on a mobile and so on so that's yeah um largely it largely. Uh, 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 can you tell
0: us a uh, couple of the festivals that you're examining through that project like uh, the ones which are about to say die out like you said or uh, still in the process of
2: still in the process really but mm-hmm. uh, you know just to name some um, we're hoping to go to Imphal Manipur mm-hmm. in the northeast and uh, which has a strong, strong uh, Vaishnav tradition of uh, celebrating Holi you know, because, oh. uh, yeah, Vaishnavism is something that got there as recently as 200 years ago or Hinduism got there 200 and uh, about 200 years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it's been rapidly transforming and, you know, uh, the festivals that are actually becoming less and less prevalent are the more, uh, tribal festivals, you know, mm-hmm. uh, of nature worshiping or animistic communities. Um, and as Hinduism becomes more and more mainstream, you know, starts out in a way which itself transforms as patronage changes, you know, whether Mm -hmm. financially or politically. And uh, yeah, I mean, we say we're a secular country and so on, but we know that uh, religion has always had a role to play in politics, you know, regardless of who was in power. And now even more so where religion and politics are supposed to be separate, but, you know, they're not at all. So looking at those processes, right. really, it's not really meant to be, um, I guess, a, a critique of a political party or anything, because that's easy to do. Hmm. You know, it's, it's looking uh, at deeper trends, at how society itself changes over time, hmm. you hmm. know, hmm. based on many, many factors, based on many, many factors. And what are the, the factors that are driving that? So there's that. There's also a project that Rohan had done with his students at uh, Kamala Heja College for Architecture, uh, where they had mapped um, the entire Braj region in Western Uttar Pradesh, mm. which is mm-hmm. uh, Mathura, Vrindavan, Gokul, Gobarthan. The entire landscape where Krishna is said to have, you know, spent his uh, years as a child and as a youth before, you know, he moved on from there. And uh, looking at the entire role of one stories and myths, and how you imbibe something with life, and you know, and 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 it begins to have meanings, which again transform and change over time. Um, so that's a project that they had done, where it was a fabulous exhibition they made at the end of it. So that actually is, I guess, more ready. We have to go and start filming. Mm-hmm. The one in the northeast is something that we are. Uh, going to research as we shoot so the approaches to the two uh, regions are different we don't yet know whether that's one film or it's two separate films so that'll it and also it's a long-term project so it'll take a few years before it takes shape really you know
1: mm-hmm. nice yeah yeah it's 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 somehow really unique uh, at, at least f- for us that you a lot of your work is uh begins with an exchange uh, with for example Rohan and I'm sure others who are outside of your discipline formally speaking and uh, it, especially with what you mentioned about Praj uh, it almost sounds like uh, you are going to refer to architectural drawings to yeah. uh, decide how you're going to film this and how does that work Who who are you exactly talking to and how do these discussions work for you
2: Um, Yes, I mean, that has a stronger architectural base to start with at present, because it's coming out of, you know, a project done by students of architecture. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, and you should have a look at that uh, exhibition, it's online, the drawings are online. It's these long vertical panels, which um, are referring to traditions of scroll painting Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: miniature painting and uh, so if you're looking at the map of a place it's uh, referring to a lot of traditions of representation where it's very beautiful it's very interesting it's uh, you know where the same surface mixes up plan and elevation mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and there are multiple stories and possibly even multiple temporalities that are happening within the same panel uh, so if one uses things like that, you know, if, if really one uses things like that, that was for the architectural presentation, but, um, this one, I mean, definitely we are, uh, looking at, um, I guess the many mixes that happen between traditional painting, between, I guess, cartography and, uh, different modes of representation, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I mean, if you look at my work, it's, I, I, very, I, I, I like to very freely borrow from other disciplines, whether it's visual art, architecture, uh, music, you know, and mm-hmm. of course, uh, archival film material, you know, things that other people have done before us. And it becomes a reference. You know, it, you use a reference, whether from visual art, architecture, or film. And uh, by using a reference, you are opening up different histories altogether. You know, you're expanding the scope of what you're doing by using a reference, you know, by making somebody else's work your own and uh, using it for the meaning it has. But also the context in which you use it adds other meanings to it. And, and that itself adds meanings to your work. So
1: it's something that fascinates me. You know, it's something that really fascinates me. But to to clarify, uh, uh, it's it's not, it doesn't seem like a pursuit of some kind of novelty or newness, is it? That that something from the past, something that somebody else has done, uh, made as a as a work, uh, to be presented in a newer context and to imbibe it with other meanings, uh, is it? Would you call it a pursuit of some kind of novelty that you have, or is it uh, is it more nuanced?
2: Both, because uh, novelty, newness is uh, essential to me. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely essential to me. And uh, it's something that I loosely tell my students, you know, when I'm looking at their work is that um, either show me something completely new or be bloody good at what you do. Right. So, I mean, of course, that's rhetoric. You know, you're pushing them to do things in a certain way. And you know that it's difficult to make work. But, you know, just to maybe chubby them a a little, say, Mm -hmm. be original or be bloody good at your work. You know, Mm. but so um, doing something new and breaking new ground with film language is something that is uh, essential to me. And I feel that, you know, we are stealing from others all the time anyway. All of us are, you know, all of us are stealing Mm -hmm. from others all the time anyway, consciously or maybe not so consciously you know because uh, everything that you have learned everything that you have uh, studied and you know everything that's a part of your experience becomes a part of your being
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, you draw from it from it anyway you know you draw mm-hmm. from it and uh, it's not about plagiarism it's 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 uh something that uh, exists there for you and you make it your own and you turn it around to make something original. So it's even if you're using a reference, mm. it's the context you put it to yeah. that defines whether it's original or whether it's stealing. You
1: know? Right. Yeah. Mm. Um. At, how do you go about uh, from, for example, with nostalgia for the future, there was a lot of found footage that you've used and extensively also spoken about, um, in your interviews and in your talks, how do you go about navigating an archive? And in this case, I guess, especially uh, what's it like? What's the Films Division archive like? Uh, is it is it mostly works that the Films Division has commissioned? Here we are asking as complete uh, um, novices, yeah. we have no idea what it looks like inside and we're imagining obviously, we're imagining it as a building with uh, <laughs> library-like <laughs> features and qualities. But um, what what's it like inside and um is it works only that the films division has commissioned or is it works by other authors is it more like a collection and what what do you uh think when you step into uh the building and what what are you thinking how do you go about looking around for found footage see it's uh
2: something that's played a very significant part in i guess uh Shaping me as an individual, whether it's uh, films division or uh, state television, Doordarshan, or All India Radio. Mm-hmm. Because uh, when I was growing up, um, these were the only means of uh, broadcasting, you know, where mm-hmm. television, radio, and documentary film were owned by the state or made by the state. And it was only in the early 90s that. Um, uh, you started having private broadcasters coming in. So it's something that's so much a part of my memory, you know, of growing mm-hmm. up. And therefore, and, and also looking back at it, uh, I'm very conscious of the fact of being shaped by all of it. Not just me, I mean, everybody around me, you know, of being shaped by it. And uh, I want to digress a bit and come back to your sure. question. in a bit. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Where, you know, I grew up in Delhi. And I studied in Delhi and you realized that Delhi was, you know, the, at the center of nation building, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, uh, being the capital. And when I went to school, if you had a music class, the music class by definition meant you were either singing nation building songs Hmm. or you were singing uh, devotional songs, but these were devotional songs of a very inclusive secular nature. You know, it was about multiple faith, about different communities working together. And uh, when you thought about it, you thought how boring, you know, because when you're in school, uh, you're listening to other things outside, uh, talking about a time. And I think, you know, to a great extent, people still think that film music is cheap or, uh, you know, um, you should be listening to what it means to be cultured is to be listening to classical music or classical dance and so on. But, uh, you know, high art, yeah. high art, low art. Yeah. High art, low art and so on. <laughs> um, I realized, I mean, I just realized, uh, what was being done and we were being programmed in a certain idea of citizenship, you know, hmm. and it was very different when I came to Bombay after Delhi, because Bombay did not have that baggage. Bombay really did not have that baggage, but Delhi did and Delhi continues to have, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I talk about films division, you know, when I talk about films division, it's uh, something I look at with a great deal of respect. Now, um, let me just say, you know, you might not be knowing that when uh, they made their documentary films, there were films of different kinds. There were films that were, of course, recording and informing the citizen about what was going on in the country in terms of government projects and uh, in terms of self-reliance, in terms of infrastructure building, in terms of, you know, social attitudes and problems and so on. There were other films that were instructing you to being citizens of a certain kind, ideal Mm. citizens, you know, with certain responsibilities and duties. And, uh, and there were, of course, the culture films, which would be about different regions. And, mm. uh, and, and of course, you know, the music and dance and literature kind of films. Um, so, uh, sorry, I lost. Uh,
1: I think you mentioned hmm. the types of uh, films that were being mentioned, uh, being made by the films division. And broadly, yeah. they seem yeah. to be. Yeah reform yeah. oriented mm. or uh documenting uh yeah. ambition of the future and and the third would be a kind of exchange of uh telling yeah people mm. from kerala what uh what's going on in gujarat or t- telling people from uh kashmir what's going on in mumbai i guess
2: yeah so
1: and we're talking
2: about a time when uh, you must remember this is the only form of uh, film-based news which is coming to you because television happens much later. Television Mm -hmm. happens only in the 1980s. Yeah, it it happens Mm -hmm. in the metros through the 60s and 70s, but it goes national only as late as 1982. Mm
1: -hmm. Film television
2: started in 1948, you know. So we're looking at, a time when the only film-based news or documentary that's coming to you is coming through Films Division. And these films would be screened before the main commercial feature. You know, when you go out to watch a movie in a commercial theater, you'd have to watch a 10 or 20-minute film before that. Hmm. Uh, most of the time, it was dreadfully boring. <laughs> uh, you, didn't, you didn't pay for that. You know, you didn't pay for yeah. that. You didn't sign up for that. And, you know, you don't need to know about fertilizers in punjab while you're sitting in tamil nadu or something you know but uh, it's also something that unfortunately i guess to a great extent gave documentary a bad name you know because you didn't sign up for this you know and you didn't want to watch this but uh, it's interesting how we were being constructed in a certain mold at that point of time you know there's much to critique there there's really much to critique there but there is a certain imagination behind uh, that of of, of of trying to build a nation in a certain image. And there's much also that's hugely respectable about it, you know. Right. So um, when you go to a place like Films Division, of course, it's like uh, any other Sarkari office. Mm-hmm. But it has that air of cinema. You know, you can smell celluloid. I don't know if you've heard filmmakers wax eloquent and you know get very romantic and sentimental about it that uh, (laughs) film archives have this certain smell unfortunately that particular smell of vinegar of celluloid film prints is that of decaying film you know (laughs) because uh, so it's not a good smell to remember film by you know but any organization that worked uh, with film their (laughs) vaults and their archives and their editing rooms always had that vinegary kind of smell which I think used to get people high, but actually it's the smell of decay. It's the smell <laughs> of <laughs> decay, decaying film, you know.
0: Yeah.
2: Cellulose triacetate, and which would turn into acetic acid or something, you know. And that's uh-huh. what you smell, as vinegar. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's that hawa of film. And you must realize that, you know, of course it's hugely bureaucratic, but uh, there are people who've made film all their lives. You know, there are qualified, right. professional filmmakers, many of them formally trained at film school many of them trained on the job or in various other organizations various other government organizations as well and uh, what they have in the archive over there is um, only their work you know mm-hmm. or work that may have that they may have acquired and distributed because they were in charge of distribution of documentary mm-hmm. so um, there's a Fairly straightforward way of accessing their archive where you can get there and, you know, on their servers, um, they have thousands of films which are fairly well indexed. So you can search by keyword, you can search by year, by director, you know, and so on and watch them for free over there. They have Mm. a YouTube channel, you know, which they keep updating. And uh, so a lot is available online, but unfortunately, those copies are not always great or subtitled. Mm.
1: You know, ah, okay.
2: so you really have to know what you're looking for. You know, to be able to use that YouTube channel, and of course, you can buy DVDs from them. You know, oh. for your own research work. If you're lucky enough to have access to their catalog, you can do keyword searches, and then you know it becomes easier to identify what you know you want to get from them and order them. It's fairly straightforward. It's really fairly straightforward. So that's what it is, and uh, um i was fortunate enough to have been part of a team that uh, curated a program of documentary film mm-hmm. uh hosted by films division which was called uh, fd zone you know which yeah. ran from yeah. 2012 to 2015 for 3 years and i was part of the team that ran that in bombay it was a weekly program so it was one a lot of work and also a lot of energy because it was a weekly program yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, it was very really, Very, very nice. Yeah, it was very, very nice because we were completely free to screen whatever we wanted, along with one Films Division film. So it could be an hour-long FD film or a one-minute FD film, Mm -hmm. but you try and create a conversation between an independent film from outside, from India or abroad, and one film made by Films Division or more, you know, or periodically have festivals of films. So the program had great energy, you know, it really had great energy. So it was, yeah, it's something, it's a history that uh, I'm quite close to and respect. Of course, like I said, there's much to critique in there as well, you know, in terms of propaganda, in terms of uh, uh, like that act of molding a citizen is something which is very, very layered and can, has to be looked at uh, critically.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you have a kind of a self-reflective relationship with the Films Television Archive and the works that are present there. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah. And also, I think what is very interesting is the kind of, um, at the start of uh, talking about the Films division, you mentioned the way these categories or how you read into those categories. And I think that's that's very interesting to start looking at if we are looking at the molding of a citizen what are the categories in which we should be f- making films <laughs> so that the message comes across and and how do you build on uh, those kind of categories like i think you mentioned that there is um uh, a, 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 a one category where they try to inform people of the life of the citizens in another state <laughs> you know uh, and and then if I am, say, living in Maharashtra, I can look at that film and really think about, oh, the the citizen, in Ke- the Indian in Kerala constructs himself and this entire, Im- not or at that point, not realizing that actually even this image that I'm seeing is completely a constructed category of uh, of
2: sort of projection you know
1: layers of representation happens. layers of representation coming in yeah,
0: yeah i mean
2: there's a lot of uh, in the process there's a lot of oversimplification as well that happens a lot of generalization a lot of oversimplification and a sense of orientalism that plays out where <laughs> our relationship <laughs> with the northeast is uh hugely problematic the yeah. very fact that we refer to seven states as northeast yeah you know which again are uh extremely diverse and a mix of different kinds of cultures from you know the influence of different uh, arms of the church and you know uh, tribal groups and different forms of hinduism then influences from from burma from thailand from china from tibet and so on everything and you know to put it under one umbrella called the northeast is uh problematic. is hugely problematic. But yeah, I mean, you know, in the absence of anything else, if I need a ready reckoner on Manipur, then I could just pick up a film and watch how it's been represented maybe in 1957 or something, you know, yeah, or later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I have welcomed very greatly one great experiment in India, which you know very well, Chandigarh. Many people argue about it. Some like it, some dislike it. It is totally immaterial whether you like it or not. It is the biggest job of its kind in India. That is why I welcome it. It is the biggest because it hits you on the head. Because it makes you think. You may squirm at the impact, but it makes you think and imbibe new ideas. And the one thing that India requires in so many fields is to be hit on the head,
1: so that you may think. Jawaharlal Nehru. I have have two things. One, these are kind of random actually, but two things i love the fact that the Films division started in 1948 and our constitution came <laughs> after that uh and the second is i guess with the northeast especially with your own um collaboration with uh rohan that you guys have this sort of uh extended interest in the northeast of india isn't it a, isn't it quite a the term itself, the Northeast of India, the Seven Sisters or the Seven States, isn't it quite a geopolitical term more than one that is referring to any kind of cultural um, difference per se?
2: Yes and no, you know, ah. because uh depends on who's using it and how, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, in one sweeping statement if uh, let's say one talks about uh, okay nehru gave a, had a slogan called unity in diversity mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. where uh, you are unified with and respect your diversity and slogan and so on but very often you realize that uh, it's often that idea of unity means uniformity and not necessarily diversity Mm-hmm. And we're not necessarily referring to the present times. It's something where uh, you've seen this happen. I mean, you've seen this happen regardless of uh, which party was in power, you know, and uh, the kind of divisions of region, of language, of uh, who gets to call himself or herself a valid citizen, you know, and we've seen it all around, you know, we've really seen seen it all around as to how people, in especially people in positions of power, treat people who might belong to a minority community or come from what is called a lower caste and so on, you know. Uh, So geopolitical, I agree, but uh, very often it's just used very loosely, you know, very, very loosely where... uh, you know, you can make sweeping statements like Kashmir se Kanya Kumari or uh, Assam se Gujarat. So yeah, we go <laughs> further east than Assam, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. and so on. But yeah. uh, so, um, yes, yeah, so one has to be careful of how one uses those terms. But then again, if you're talking about propaganda, and you know, propaganda is hugely problematic. The propaganda right. only works when you talk in oversimplifications, you know. Um, So it's something that uh, one needs to understand, one really needs to understand. And there are times when, uh, uh, I guess, people give in. Uh, And I'm talking about people who, you know, we've seen it happen in the recent years where, you know, people who are, whom we would call highly educated, you know, rational and scientific and so on. And at some point, people just gave in, you know, to mainstream media or to propaganda on the social media and uh, it's become very difficult to talk to people you know really very difficult to talk to people in the present day so you figure out I and mean, you really figure out um, how you de- how you're going to deal with it so
1: right i'm not sure what the baggage of the british public works department or military cantonment ideas was that was inherited subconsciously by the new public works department but i suspect there's something of that The Contunement had established a kind of environmental paradigm of order, of openness, and of all provisions carefully made and maintained by an authority.
2: One of the things about modernist architecture and planning projects is that they imagine a society that's free from the past. Mm -hmm. I will not look at caste, I will not look at class, etc. Does that actually happen?
0: Not really. I mean, in that sense, the government has very strict hierarchy. You know, the whole definition of type 1 to type 5, it's almost like giving out housing as per the rank you occupy within the government machinery. And that had a precursor in the New Delhi plan. So the whole size of the plot, the location of the plot, was all depending upon the rank you occupied in that hierarchy.
1: Coming to uh, how uh, actually going with what you just said, and to try and understand uh, whether propaganda is uh, predetermined and pre um, yeah predetermined and then constructed, or somehow takes shape as a larger sort of um, uh, set of uh, pointers that are set into motion across the nation. Um, how do you see the discipline and the formal aspects of documentary filmmaking versus journalism? And and um, I will leave you to sort of uh, pick uh, what what format of journalism would you compare? Would you want to compare uh, your if own discipline any. to, if if any, wh- whether it be news presenting or uh, journalistic documentaries or uh, the written form or please, as you, as you wish. Um, I'd start
2: by saying uh, there's uh, as much diversity in the field of journalism mm-hmm. as there, as there is in the field of documentary, you know, um, where, uh, yeah, you might say that um, I guess majority of journalism um would be topical, would be dealing with topical subjects, you know, in terms of reporting them, analyzing them, critiquing them, getting opinions on them Um, and documentaries uh, don't necessarily have to do that in the present day because uh, it's also complicated because uh, journalism these days by definition has started meaning live, Hmm. you know. Right. So you report yeah. things as they're happening, even when you don't know very much about it. Uh, it's not recent, it's 20 years old by now. You know, this form of journalism mm-hmm. where um, you uh, this entire monster called breaking news
1: <laughs> where
2: yeah. you just get people worked up. You just get people excited when you have very little information coming in. And sometimes 100% of what you say is based on conjecture, is based on guesswork, is based on just building up people's passions about something you so far know nothing about or very little about, you know. Hmm. So that's the monster that actually even old-fashioned journalism is right now dealing with. And uh, it's created a kind of crisis in documentary filmmaking because Mm-hmm. If you are talking about, uh, you know, documentaries that were supposed to, um, comment on things which journalism was talking about in a certain way, where let me be more specific. Like I said, uh, if films division was responsible mm-hmm. for, uh, giving you film-based news and reports and, uh, uh, you know current uh current events. Mm. Um it was it was a state's version, you know, it was a state's version of writing its own history, which was by definition uh, propagandist. Now, if I look at it as somebody who's interested in archives, I would say this is the state writing writing its own history. It's mm-hmm. and history by definition is subjective. You know? Right. Yeah. So it is their own point of view which they're seeing. And the critique of it is for us to make, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
2: And what started happening in the nine in the mid uh, 1970s was that um, you know Anand Patwardhan, as uh, an independent filmmaker, followed by many others later, uh, started making independent documentaries, um, which were looking at telling you the other side of the story, which the state by no means would ever tell you, you know. Hmm. So it was critical. It was uh, showing you other things. It was in many ways trying to tell you within quotes the truth behind state propaganda or the or, or the other side, you know, of, of the actual truth, which the state would never tell you and so on. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, but then as you can understand, you know, there was a certain um, production cycle that these films had to go through. And uh, it took time to make them. Now, in the day and age of breaking news and live news, that act of documentary filmmaking can't catch up. You know, it it really can't catch up. And it's also, uh, it serves a different purpose, really. You know, it really serves a different purpose where if you're making something that's long form or if you're making something that's critical of... uh, Either current events or their representation. By the time your film is ready, the news cycle has moved way ahead. You know? yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. So, um, which is yeah. where I think that kind of filmmaking is, in some ways, uh, some kind of crisis. But it is important, nevertheless, to make that record and make that interve- intervention of uh, you know making your film and letting it be you know for people to watch and maybe get the other side of the story. Um, But, you know, coming back to the difference between journalism and documentary, this is what uh, I guess has been mainstream documentary for a long time, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where the alternative also becomes mainstream at some point, you know, Mm. where what is considered documentary uh, by definition meant something which is talking about a social issue, which is talking about a certain social problem, which is criti- critiquing the state, uh, critiquing the state, um, and there are so many different other forms of expression that uh, the non-fiction medium mm-hmm. has always uh, seen, you know, whether in India or abroad. And in India, it's seen very very specific moments. Mm -hmm. of uh, expression which is either political or either let's say majorly commenting on a strong political subject or a theme Mm -hmm. but the tone it chooses to do that is different you know the tone it chooses to do that is maybe uh, subversive, Mm -hmm. maybe nuanced, maybe quieter, maybe gentler Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not, you know, going with the cliche that everything is political. I'm saying that uh, your films can have any kind of subject or any kind of uh, theme. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there's been, again, a huge diversity of uh, films made in the non-fiction medium in India for a very long time now. And interestingly, starting with films division in the late 1960s, uh, where, There was a period where they needed to shake off the image of being propagandist, of being dull and boring and so on. And uh, under the leadership of a person called Jean-Bahav who was Mm -hmm. from UNESCO, you know, and uh, uh, encouraged filmmakers working within the organization to experiment with filmmaking, experiment with film form, be critical of the state as much as you know the the state would allow, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. also um, it really empowered. It really empowered filmmakers because uh, you just realized what they were capable of. You know, you realized what they were capable of, and the work that happened in uh, Films Division at that time was extremely original, and in many many cases still remains unprecedented in mm-hmm. terms of both an exploration of film form mm-hmm. and also in terms of how a scaling critique of the state was coded within film language you know those films make for an incredible study um which i think has really started happening only recently okay. uh, people have looked at it earlier and uh, you know and 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 under the lens of experimental film but i think to look at the political message behind that experimentation in film is something that's only started happening in the last five or 10 years or so. You know, Mm. there's lots, there's really lots there. And it was in the 90s where, uh, you know, people started looking at other themes, other subjects, other ways of filmmaking. And finally, it was the coming of digital technology where you move away from celluloid-based film production, you know, Mm -hmm. which uh, completely freed people up because film was expensive, film was tedious, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, apart from production, exhibition became much easier because uh, you didn't need to carry a film reel, you didn't need to carry a film projector to places or be tied up to venues that had all those facilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, I must say the last 25 years in the history of Indian documentary, have been very very vibrant
1: yes. and okay. there's
2: a lot of very original work that has happened at the hands of filmmakers who could be as uh, senior and mm. eminent as Kamal Swaroop you know mm. Mm. Uh, in terms of the films that he has made and much much junior uh, first-time filmmakers as well you know? mm. so I think it's it's been a very interesting time
1: it has taken from what we gather now from what you've said it has all always taken documentary films uh, uh, i mean uh, filmmaking i mean has has always taken some sort of a uh, reaction i know the word is a bit loaded uh, these days but it has reacted to different flavours of events so for example you mentioned um uh, uh, a change with Jean uh, Baunagr in the late 60s or uh, with Anand Patwardhan uh, in the mid 70s which sounds to me around the emergency time and uh, also something that was immediately after as i've been as i've read or been told immediately after a moment of triumph for india because that decade is always The 70s decade is always said to be one that had very sharp ups and downs. Yeah, it's a mixed bag. For the the social. Also, uh, announcing that uh, we now have (laughs) nuclear missiles and Indira Gandhi absolutely um, championing certain other, um, let's say, ambitions on the nation scale uh, during that time. So documentary filmmaking has always had this in common Uh, with journalism that it has reacted of course through long form but it has reacted to different flavors of uh, uh, events that the nation has experienced and it has produced uh, different types of subversive or uh, encouraging or uh, i don't know complimentary. Or, uh, you know, different types of uh, agendas, let's say. Is that something that uh, you personally uh, study or reflect on? Is that something? I guess also what I'm trying to ask is, what do you want to react to today?
2: Okay, so um, now you're right about that. You're right about that, where, uh, I mean, I would say that if we're looking at, let's say, the state making films, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. the state itself is not a monolith, you know, (laughs) where uh, there are different people where given the slightest chance, you can be taken by surprise as to how much things can change Mm -hmm. under one visionary leader. Mm -hmm. who has uh, the backing of the system, or who knows how to work the system, you know. Hmm. Um, And things can completely change. Likewise, uh, even among independent filmmakers, uh, there are filmmakers of all kinds, really, you know, Mm -hmm. of different political alignments, of different uh, ways of looking at film, and uh, looking at different audiences, really, you know. Mm -hmm. so um, for me it becomes interesting to look at that entire process of looking at work whether it's coming from the state or from the independent filmmaker which is reflecting on um, and also trying to construct us construct an image of us in a certain mold Mm
1: -hmm. you know
2: so if uh, the state at some level you know was saying and continues to say that uh, we are here to do good for you and it's your duty to be a certain kind of citizen, um, you know, for the betterment of society and for the country and so on. Hmm. Um, the independent filmmaker can also say things like, we understand that uh, the state has given you a ordeal and we are here to represent the other side of it mm. now both of them uh, in their own way are honest you know mm. to their brief and to their job uh, both of them in their understanding mean well but uh, for me it's interesting that both the gazes are paternalistic you know ah. both of them are trying to say that look we are here yeah. to make things better for you, um, mm. and that largely is uh, what nostalgia for the future is all about. You know, where you say that you've been represented in a certain way yeah. in documentary, or we've made certain houses for you because we imagined what the body of a modern Indian citizen was like, and therefore we'll make houses for you accordingly. You know, right? Mm. Uh, so. It's honestly, as a filmmaker, it's something that you know I look at, uh, if I can, with some amount of distance. You know, I'd say, okay, this is what, um, this is the mold in which the filmmaker is representing, um, his or her subject.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, yeah, and how will it be seen, uh, when this issue is not um a current topical issue anymore you mm. Know? Mm. so which is why it, it, it's in, become in easier in hindsight in hindsight you know it's become easier to look at for me at least it's become easier to look at the films division archive because mm. it's like okay this is how you were imagining us imagining we'd be uh 1965 you know yeah, this is yeah. how you were imagining that citizens would be when you were looking at them in 1965 and so on you know I, yeah. Uh, yeah
0: i think it also decouples uh this idea of having to then follow the new cycle no like uh, the the one that you were mentioning earlier where there is yeah. a, a sort of velocity velocity at which you have to keep producing i'm yeah. also just a little curious as to the scale of the dissemination of uh uh of, of of the films division are uh of the media that the films division was producing, because you mentioned in one place that it was played in theaters at mm. the start, and then you also said uh for screening them with ca- carrying cameras and or screens and projectors and going uh to different places. So could you just let uh talk a little bit about the kind of scale at which uh, this uh, archive was disseminated or has been disseminated and what what is its uh, where does the dissemination currently lie how do we consume documentary films in today's time like where do we consume them what is this site
2: so um, how it worked earlier was like I mentioned before you would watch these films in cinema theatres you know all over the country And at the peak of their production, they were dubbing their films into 16 languages, 16 national languages. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, Also problematic because uh, you had to turn these around really fast. You know, you really had to turn these around really fast where uh, um, something happens and you need it screened across the country a week later. You know and it takes time to do that it really takes yeah. time to produce it which means you'll make it in the simplest way possible and uh, the you know they would entirely be voiceover and commentary driven uh where the commentary is a is is a module you know as part of yeah. the film and you can take it out and you can replace it with commentary in a different language and it becomes a film in in bangla or punjabi or you know malayalam or something you know and not in english or hindi uh Hmm. Uh, so you realize that there's a lot of essentialization and generalization that's happening in the process it's news or current affairs in bullet point form you know (laughs) where uh, people get to watch them or there'd be the entire um, um they had this field publicity division where you take projectors and screens and sound equipment and you'd have these vans which would go deep into the interiors and you would screen films that are relevant to particular target groups. So you could screen films on relevant to agriculture or public health and screen them in villages, uh, you know, for the people. Um, so somebody would get something out of it, how accessible it was, how audible it was if suddenly 500 people land up to see it, and so on, uh, you can imagine. Um, so going from that to various other uh, modes of accessing and engaging with the documentary through documentary circuits where they'd be hosted by public institutions, cultural institutions, educational fora you know mm-hmm. colleges and schools and um, there'd be film festivals you know across the country which still happen there are organizations that uh, would fund documentary and they, they would have their own channels of dissemination hmm. through screenings through film festivals or through later DVD or online distribution um, but at present it is an enormous crisis because oh. uh, many of these institutions um, are either not that active anymore or are in the process of shutting down. This is an incredible organization called PSPT, Public Service Broadcasting Trust, Yes. Mm-hmm. which uh, for the last 20 years has been funding documentary films. And um, I've made three or four films for them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have been very, very instrumental in one supporting and then screening uh, and disseminating uh, documentary. Of course, you can critique any organization and their work. But what they've done in the last 20 years is quite remarkable, is is really quite remarkable. And uh, off late, as you all know, in the current climate, it's become not just very difficult, it's become impossible to screen anything which in any way Questions or comments on or critiques the current government you know
1: so uh, or even just sways from praise right s- sways from hmm? praise of the establishment praise and celebration of the establishment you don't actually have to, have, have to say, to say anything do. against them you just have to yeah, exactly. not so say it what it they sways, want to hear
0: if, if it sways then it's also considered not possible right like it should stick to that <laughs> i think
1: sorry i know I'm, I'm not getting your point i'm just saying that uh, it, it doesn't even have to go as far as saying something against the establishment it, isn't it more a question of just saying something different and not hearing sure. what what is familiar oh, absolutely
2: absolutely because uh there is no scope for saying anything different at all.
1: Yeah, you know? because it's not actually... What so, I'm trying to uh, point out uh, just to clarify is that it's not actually a binary. There is that, that polar opposite doesn't actually exist for me. It's just that if you sway from a particular line, even if you say, uh, but I prefer uh, juice, orange juice and I'm not going to talk about a certain... Celebratory aspect of what's going on in the news today, uh, you are, uh, you know, you're ignorant from the other side or something. Just not towing the line is enough. You don't even have to go against something. Yeah, that's true.
2: That is true. So it's a place where uh, there's a huge crisis all over again. Mm
1: -hmm. You
2: know, there's really a huge crisis where. And of course, um, you know, um, they've been leading by example where uh, you just think many times before uh, saying things on a public forum and just figure out other ways of maybe getting your point across. But then you're up against uh, an entire industry, you know, really an entire industry that has a huge amount of... Money and, of course, complete political will behind it at uh, spreading disinformation like crazy. You
1: know, mm-hmm.
2: to be mm-hmm. very, very kind to the whole process. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, it sounds. Yeah. At, I I actually had this little giggle when you said uh, uh, sixteen different languages were used to spread. Uh, uh, the way I would like to put it, it. Sixteen different languages were applied onto the same set of images, uh, and uh, nobody actually knows what narrative was produced where, um, and with what kind of emphasis. And to to look uh, now, how that process seems to have been reversed a little bit, where uh, the the diversity in uh, what it, it saying dealing with a certain subject in a different language ha- is being played down actively to go and argue, um, North Indian values, let's say, uh, with somebody in West Bengal or in, in Chennai uh, is being played down as oh, that's not necessary anymore because everyone's on YouTube somehow, and uh, that seems to be uh, quite an interesting point of tension uh, that documentary filmmaking seems to be dealing with in some way.
2: I mean, documentary filmmaking, if they were earlier dealing with only films division or Mm Doordarshan, I mean, Mm -hmm. now you're using, now you're dealing with uh, all the various social media because that is what... Yeah, you do and much more than your mainstream news uh, um so i'm just to give you an example if you are looking at um, facebook mm-hmm. you're looking at uh, their entire uh you know um monitoring standards when you are when you report something when you report something as offensive or abusive or anything They have stronger systems Mm -hmm. in place when it comes to more mainstream languages. But if somebody is writing in Burmese and I was reading somewhere that it's being used hugely to not only spread misinformation but complete uh, you know instigating people to you know pushing them towards being genocidal and they don't have the systems in place to monitor those posts. so you become instrumental in being, being people who carry messages of genocide, you know, yeah. um, because you don't have those teams and those systems in place where when somebody is li- writing in a non mainstream language, then you, you just don't correct them. And what happens in the process? Because everybody is consuming that. Yeah. So, and it's happening to a great extent with us as well, because what is happening in the, in all the vernacular uh, and and finally who has the onus if you ta- if you're talking about messages that are coming on family whatsapp groups or building whatsapp groups and so on Wh- Whom do you hold responsible you can say that whatsapp is just a messenger right you don't shoot the messenger but uh, how do you monitor and how can you ever have an argument on whatsapp you can't <laughs> so it's what they call the word masterstroke you know, yeah. which has been used very liberally in the last few years. It's a masterstroke. Nobody is responsible. The citizens are responsible for sowing hatred. Nobody is responsible.
1: So, uh, yeah. I want to kind of, uh, since we've been talking, I, I think I, I have a feeling we've, we're sort of uh, now beginning to touch upon also uh, what is the... Uh, not a completed image but uh, th- this whole construction of the indian citizen that went on since uh, independence uh, there of course it's it's a i would say a, a vague image of what the indian citizen is m- may be made today but um, i want to kind of go what what would be an intimately seen um idea or image of uh, the Indian citizen or if you may if you wish uh, the, a subaltern subject or um, South Asian identity uh, you know seen from your perspective, what, what would you say uh, would be an intimate way to get to know because you are somebody that works with a camera and that is something you have to, I imagine, at all times be conscious of. So what exactly are you asking? What how, how would you say... I know it's a little bit of a vague question. What would you say is an intimate way to capture what an Indian citizen today may be? I mean, I also... I think I'm referring also to your work uh, a little bit with... Um, snapshots uh, from, a snapshots from a family album. Snapshots uh, from a family album. Where... There is one kind of intimacy that is produced by the camera work with the, in terms of how close uh, a shot is or how um, the, the sound is, let's say, edited or cleaned up or left with a little bit of noise uh, versus uh, what the character uh, may or may not be doing. But I'm not sure... Uh, that is a sort of, a that I, at least it was so nuanced and specific that if I were to think of uh, arriving in any city in India today with a camera and wanted to get um, a shot in the public realm of an intimate um, idea of what the citizen of that city uh, looks like or feels or... Uh, behaves like because we all have these images i mean mumbai walas know what Delhi walas uh, you know we have all these cliches and metaphors for each other that uh, that are always in, in play underneath the surface uh, how how w- would you go about thinking about something and i emphasize on the word intimate because mm-hmm. i want to see as a filmmaker what would you How would you think about capturing something sort of essential in a character? For me, I would often look for a reference
2: which becomes a way of approaching a person I don't know. Uh, I'll explain that. Where it's very different, you know, from when I'm making a film on my parents, you know, as their son. And as a filmmaker it's very different from looking at a person on the street in a place i know nothing about like mm-hmm. we're starting this project in the northeast and it's not a place that i have a relationship with so mm-hmm. the gaze is very different you know the gaze is very different and uh, the way of engaging would be very different in each case um what really matters is the intent you know to be able to say that there are things that i cannot understand you know, there are things that I cannot understand here. That I am an outsider. That there will be a certain amount of assumption that goes into making these images because they're coming out of a, of out of as much or as little I know mm-hmm. about this place. You know, so if I become self reflexive about it, then uh, and also maybe self critical about it, then you know, uh, that's a more honest way of looking at it than saying. I already know you and, uh, you know, somebody else might say, Oh, we're all humans and we have the same feelings and same emotions and so on. And that, uh, you know, um, human language can, can, transcend. you know, is higher than uh, can transcend, can, can transcend linguistic uh, barriers and so on. No, no, I mean, it, 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 it there has to be a different way of framing each subject. And I'll just give you an example of a film that I made in China, mm-hmm. which is uh, called "Electric Shadows: Journeys in Image Making," um, where I was part of a film festival, um, you know, of uh, Indian films uh, and experimental video, which was held in four cities in China uh, ten years ago. And three years later, I, you know, raised I. I, I three years later, I visited China to look at that entire act of looking at a culture through the images that we get out of it. You know, so if mm. for somebody who's not visited India, or who's somebody who's not visited China or any other place, what are the images that are forming your idea of that culture? It's mm. the cinema, it's the popular culture images, it's the music, it may be food, you know, and so on. And of course, our common histories in the case of India and China, political Mm -hmm. histories, and so on, Mm -hmm. which have always been troubled. Um, So I was looking at how cinema has formed this image for us where people have a certain idea of India out of Bollywood films, Mm -hmm. uh, or if Indians have had a certain idea of uh, China by looking at martial arts films, or a different kind of Indian has uh, an idea of China by looking at the more art house films out of China, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it was really looking at that and trying to frame this entire landscape through images that I have already seen and creating a kind of interaction, which then becomes a critique of, uh, how those images of, 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 of cultures mm-hmm. are created. And it's also very funny because, uh, Rohan was there, you know, on that film and we were traveling together and, uh, it's a cliche, but you know how people might say that uh, people of a certain race all look the same to people of another race, you know. Yeah. So while we were traveling around and there's something that has happened to Rohan in both China and Germany, very, very diverse places where people think he is Shah Rukh Khan <laughs> because <laughs> all Indians look like Shah Rukh Khan, right? Okay. So there's a funny sequence in the film where there are these girls at a public place who think he's Shah Rukh Khan and want to take selfies with him. Um <laughs> uh, you know, or the entire essentialization that all Indians sing Mera Juta Hai Japani or Avarahu, you know. Uh, yeah. So uh it's a funny film. You guys should watch it. It's on Vimeo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it finally becomes, you know, this entire act of trying to say that uh, who am I to speak on behalf of somebody else? Uh I can try to be honest about it. And uh I can refer to a you know, things such as this as to okay if i'm looking at the northeast what is my image of the northeast is it that you know people are doing tribal dance all the time you know or bamboo dance and playing you know and and, and wearing yeah. feathers on their heads which is the the uh bollywood image of a certain kind of so called tribal within quotes mm-hmm. you know so deconstruct that a bit really deconstruct that a bit uh so yeah it's it's aware I mean, for me, it's very, very important to say that uh, um, I'm aware of the power that I have wielding a camera and trying to speak on behalf of somebody else. And, you know, um, yeah, not not, not for a moment thinking that uh, I'm here to do you good. No, right. mm-hmm. that's a problem. That's these, a
1: problem. Yeah, okay. Then these yeah. are your sort of, we would say your ethics, you know, the ethics of what you think your discipline should be doing, including you yourself as a part of that larger community of people that do this um, as their work, as their sort of, um, as the way of uh, producing meaning, uh, living meaningful lives along with the the work that they do. How, how do you see then, or how do you rather deal with, uh, a movie like uh, let's say even a nice one like Slumdog Millionaire. I'm assuming as a filmmaker that's a great uh, technical, uh, technically really well done, I guess uh, for you. but how do you deal with not the production of cliches or uh, the establishment or not establishment, that's a terrible word for this. but for the confirmation of cliches or how do we go about rediscovering each other in the world?